Hi, Hi everyone. everyone. I'm John. And I'm Georgia. And we're here inside your ears to talk about the mac and cheese of movies. This, this is, is Comfort, Comfort Films. Between the time when the oceans drank Atlantis and the rise of the sons of Arius, there was an age undreamed of. And unto this, Conan, destined to wear the jeweled crown of Aquilonia upon a troubled brow. It is I, his chronicler, who alone can tell thee of his saga. Let me tell you of the days of high adventure. Welcome to episode 32 of Comfort Films, Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. The second of our sword and sorcery series. So we started our, our sword and sorcery with a little bit of a oddball pick, Star Wars. Um, and then we've moved on to, I think, what we could possibly say is one of the greatest high fantasy epic sword and sorcery movies of all time in my opinion yes at least for us mm-hmm. conan the barbarian yeah i mean you have arnold schwarzenegger at the height of his huge <laughs> he was so massive in this <laughs> and i love the fact that when we heard about the making of the film he needed to work out every day to remain that massive yeah i mean and actually but i think i'd also heard that he needed to like lean out or slim down a little because his arms were like so big he couldn't have the mobility to swing the sword yes i've heard that as well he could lift it obviously it wasn't a problem of carrying it or holding it but it was a matter of movement that his you know arms are just so big it was hard to move (laughs) I can't even imagine having that precision. Like, you know, when you see his physique, you're like, wow. Yeah. You know, that guy's like a rock. Well, I mean, mean? you know, they really couldn't have done this movie without him. And Mm -mm. all of like the behind the scenes type stuff that we've watched and read really is talking about that. Like, you know, these people saw this dude and they're like, we need a property for this guy. We need to get this guy in something. Yeah. Because he does have, like, this superhuman kind of look to him, mm-hmm. and it just meshes perfectly with this character of Conan, who is this prehistoric, you know, beast of a dude who, like, you know, goes around, like, sword fighting and all this kind of stuff, and it's just really cool. Yeah, I mean, there's so much material yeah. that they have. I mean, they have, you know, the Robert E. Howard stories which sadly I have never read. I have like this massive tome of all of the works and I have never read it. I have read comic books. You know, I've seen the movies countless times, but it's like the actual source of this I have never really exposed myself to, which is insane. Well, it sounds like you have some homework to do then. I do. And maybe, you know, maybe that could be the blog post for this episode is that... You know, we'll send John off on a little quest <laughs> to read some Robert E. Howard source material and let us know how it differs from the movie. And, you know, the other thing that kind of bridges the weird gap between our first movie and our second movie in the series is James Earl Jones. Right. Um, who is the bad guy in both. Yeah. Um, He's such a great bad guy. He can be... You know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, or a long time ago in this very planet here that we live on. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. Anybody that can see the video can see I've got my my Darth Vader shirt on in tribute, and it says, (laughs) warning, choking hazard. Um, (laughs) You know, James Earl Jones talked about the fact that there were a lot of similarities between Thalsa Doom and Darth Vader, you know? 
both sorcerers, right? That's true. Both want to take over the world. Yep. And I love the fact that when they talk to him, he's like, yeah, I'm basically just a, a nice kind of a, a bear. Yeah, he's like a gentle bear. He yeah. Says, and he says, like, you need that kind of a person to play this type of bad guy. And I think he's right, because the thing that makes Darth Vader scary is, of course, his skill. Mm. But it's also the fact that, you know, once he becomes Darth Vader, the anger that, like, Anakin, that kind of made Anakin a little bit ridiculous on occasion, if I'm honest... Is kind of away from there, and we just have like this kind of cold person who yeah. is, you know, very scary because you don't know what he's going to do. And in this, we have Thulsa Doom, and the idea of Thulsa Doom is from the background material that we heard about that he's kind of from like this, you know, dying race, yeah, or whatever, like of huge people, like darker skin, blue eyes, straight hair. Mm -hmm. You know, they wanted him to have this very specific kind of otherworldly quality to yeah. him almost. And, you know, I think that really worked. And his eyes kind of have like this hypnotic look, you know. Oh, yeah. Because they're like the super dark blue. And, you know, he uses them almost like in a hypnotizing way, like he is part snake, you know. Well, it's very creepy, especially... Your, our introduction to Thalsa yeah. Doom at the beginning of the film. And when they raid the village, everyone is dead except Conan's mother and Conan. You know, and we're there, and it looks like Thalsa Doom has caring. That he looks at this mother and is going to take mercy and allow her to go her own way. And she is, you know, enchanted by this. And in my opinion, I feel like she almost feels like there might be a glimmer of hope that she's going to walk away with her son. Yeah, and she's scared, clearly. Oh, yeah. But it's different, like, because at first she's confronted by these other dudes that are the henchmen, Rexor and Thorgrim, mm -hmm. um, which are Ben Davidson and Sven Oli Thorson, who mm -hmm. are enormous, massive monster dudes. So big. So, so big. <laughs> John Milius's commentary mentioned that he called them the Great Danes. <laughs> like, all these kind of... I mean, Ben Davidson is not Scandinavian, but Sven Oli Thorson obviously is, and some of these other guys they had were. And I just laughed at that um, thing, but... At any rate, those guys, when they're confronting her, she's clearly terrified. Well, they, I mean, let's talk about this. I mean, we've got Ben Davidson, an ex-NFL player. Who's oh, enormous. He's so big. What, what, 6'5", 6'8", like six, six, eight? Eight, I oh believe. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, like, <laughs> that is crazy, okay? And then we also have Sven Oli Thorson, another bodybuilder that's yeah. massive. And he's, like, 6'4". So, you know, she has these enormous guys who are just... You know, you don't know what they're going to do. They've just destroyed the entire village. And there's an entire army of these people that have just come and, and they've laid waste. Not to mention, like, dogs. Oh, my God. The armored Rottweilers. Right, that take out Conan's dad. Yeah, they actually then. chewed up his father. After you know. he takes an axe to the back. Yeah. Oh, man. And that's William Smith. And William Smith, who plays Conan's father was actually an idol of Arnold Schwarzenegger growing up because he was a bodybuilder. Yeah, it's really amazing they got all these people in this. And it really has like, I don't know, like a, a metal kind of a feel to it. 
And I think that's funny because this movie is about literal metal of steel. Yeah, yeah. Because they talk about steel, you know. But also these guys, you know, I feel like there's like a symbiotic relationship between like early metal music and this kind of high fantasy adventure type of story. Right. Like, I mean, they were talking about the same kind of epic, you know, tales and then you know, the outfits that they would wear in this are very similar to, like, what these metal bands like Dio and Black Sabbath and these type of people would wear. Sure. Even to the point where we we actually had seen this movie in the theater this week, which is the wow. first time that we've seen it in and the it theater. And it was amazing. Um, many times amazing. we've seen it, but never in the theater until this week. And then... On film. Yes. Exactly. On film. It was on 35mm, yeah. I believe. And then... We also ended up seeing Beastmaster um, because they're doing kind of a thing with American Cinematheque for all these movies that were released in 1982. And seriously, if you go back and look at the list of movies that came out that year, you're going to be like, what was going on? Like, Yeah, that's the source. People I mean, were eating their Wheaties that year. <laughs> I mean, Blade Runner, right? Yeah. I mean, alone. Blade Runner coming out is insane to me. And then we had The Thing. Yeah. The another thing landmark movie. film. I mean, these are all amazing films. And yeah, they were just all coming around in the same time. And Beastmaster has a lot of similarities with Conan. And it came out only like three months later. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's some differences, but when we watch both of them in a week on the big screen, yeah. we've really noticed the similarities. And this kind of, leather and metal costuming type thing was one of the big ones um especially to me and beastmaster they're like transforming this guy into like a a crazy warrior like a berserker a berserker yeah Yeah. and he looks like he's been transformed into a member of guar basically (laughs) well it makes me think about like the cover of thin lizzy thunder and lightning which came out in 1983 and it's like the the cover of the album is like you know night and there's like this you know lightning and then there's this spiked like arm coming out of the ground and that's just like the the oh, berserkers yeah. Yeah. in you know in beastmaster God, because that's just like it right because they go down this hallway where all these berserkers are chained up you know and well i don't know if they're chained up but they're they're in this cage and they're sticking their arms through yeah and it it just like i was like wow this is like exactly the cover well it makes me think of like quiet riot too oh yeah it has a mask you know oh yeah 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 the metal mask and yeah just all those kind of things like i guess it was kind of like of that time in a certain way it's pretty funny well and then the guy that that, that's like stirring the cannibal soup you know whatever kind of mask or apparatus they have on his face seems to fit right in you know, with, with this aesthetic. Well, I mean, let's talk about the cannibal soup, which actually appears in both Conan and Beastmaster. <laughs> like, who would have thought that, like, you know, that same very specific dish would be served <laughs> in both films? And they actually have the same kind of thing. They're, like, stirring it and a hand floats to the top. I mean, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's wild to me when two movies that are that similar come out around the same time. Yeah, I mean, they're just so close in so many ways. We had actually considered doing the Beastmaster as an episode, but then when we saw all these similarities... <laughs> it just didn't make sense. No. It's like, what are we going to do, two weeks and just be like, yeah, we saw Beastmaster, 
Yep, just like Conan. <laughs> I mean, like, it would have been a bit of a disservice there. Um, uh, well, let me ask you this. So I know that we're, we're at the 40th anniversary of Conan the Barbarian, right? Are we uh, at that date yet? Like, what is the day that um, it came out? Wildly, <laughs> I did not think about this, but it is, like, literally today is the 40th anniversary. Wow. So our recording date. Is the yeah. 40th anniversary. That's awesome. We actually were trying to record this yesterday. We had issues mm -hmm. and it got pushed to today. But I guess that was karma. Right. Happening because, yeah, now we're actually recording it on the 40th anniversary date because this movie was released on May 14th, 1982. This is insane. And it's like, I mean, wow. I mean, OK, so I didn't read the books. I'm a loser. We know that. <laughs> But, yeah, all right, so what was interesting... I read the comics, though. I read the comics, but catch this. What I really liked is when John Milius was talking about Robert E. Howard writing the Conan stories. He said that what happened is Robert E. Howard felt this shadow come over him, and behind him was Conan with this massive axe over his head, and he said, I'm going to cleave you in two if you don't write this story. <laughs> I know. I was like, wow, that's intense. I actually wish that I had that much motivation to write sometimes. <laughs> like, if somebody could please come stand over me with an axe yeah. and be like, you know, 10 pages today or you're cleaving you in two. Right. And I feel like I'd be much more productive. Well, if you think about John Milius, and they said when he was writing Apocalypse Now, he actually kept a loaded gun on the table while he was working because it just made him feel like really dangerous while he was doing it. John Milius is a special kind of a dude. I mean, honestly, I he's a little crazy and... I don't know. Like, I mean, the Big Lebowski, like, they based the character of Walter on John Milius. And mm -hmm. I had never, I had not actually seen John Milius when I saw Big Lebowski. Mm -hmm. So I didn't realize, like, how exactly they kind of made up John Goodman to look like John Milius. Yeah. But, like, yeah, the, the character of Walter is literally just John Milius. It's so crazy. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And this guy's, like, chaotic. He's also very disciplined. Right. And he brings that to, like, this movie, obviously. And, like, everybody had a lot of discipline on this movie. You know, people talked about how much training they did right. and all this kind of stuff. And it really, to me, that's kind of what makes this movie work, is that I find it very believable. Like, the, the athleticism mm -hmm. of the people that they cast really makes sense in the context of the movie. Right. Um, you know, so like we have we have Arnold, obviously. Right. Yeah. But we also have Sandal Bergman, um, who is an amazing dancer. Right, from all that jazz. She's phenomenal dancer in yeah. that movie like yeah. go watch her you'll die i love all that jazz. um and she is perfect as this character of valeria the thief mm -hmm. um because she's light on her feet you know she's almost like got this cat-like grace yeah but she's also extremely strong she can wield a sword and it makes her like this perfect match for the character of conan you know, I think that Milius all, like, kept saying, you know, that she was like a Valkyrie. Right. And he wanted, you know, to cast someone that just was that. Mm -hmm. And that's what Sandal Bergman said in some of the commentary, too. When he's looking for somebody to play the part, it's not like he's looking for an actor to play something. 
he's looking for somebody who is that something. Yeah. So, like, when he found her, he's like, this woman is a Valkyrie. This is who I need for Valeria. Well, and it's, again, it's a wonderful female character. Yeah. You know, I mean, when you see, like, the cover of this, how many films have we seen where we deal with, like, you know, the sword and sandal, sword and sorcery, and it's just, like, the women are just, like, trophies, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's just they're damsels in distress. Not the case here. No. And it makes no, this no. movie so special because... Valeria and the relationship with Conan humanizes him so much. Yeah, and she brings something so powerful to this. I mean, I think one of my favorite scenes in this is when Conan has basically died in mm -hmm. this crucifixion. He's been nailed to a tree you know, chewed up by vultures. And then like, he chewed the vulture. Yes, he did. Uh, that was, like, his last action that he could muster was to, like, try to, you know, bite the vulture back. Um, but he's basically died, and the spirits are going to come and take him at night, and she, like, physically fights them off. And it's an amazing, amazing scene. Yeah. Because, like, she's just so awesome. Like, I just really love Valeria from the minute she shows up in the shadows getting ready to like scale the snake tower right you know she's just an awesome character and i just i think that that sandal bergman did such a perfect job and she is the perfect person for it similarly we have jerry lopez as subatai and he is perfect too yeah because they said that they were actually looking at people that were a lot like jerry lopez <laughs> And John Milius said, you know, this is a guy I used to surf with and, you know, we're buddies. So why not, you know, let's get Jerry. And again, it's just another layer to the John Milius, you know, story because it's a guy that he says he just wishes he was a general, approaches every project like he's a tactician. Mm -hmm. And yet he is this guy that likes to surf, you know, and he's got, you know, this really cool world champion surfer as a friend. So what happens is he gets Jerry Lopez and tells him to go to Mako's acting school. And Mako, of course, played the wizard. And, oh, man, he brings so much. He brings so much to that character. And he shows up so late in the movie, but, mm -hmm. like, it's, it, like, nobody could have done that. He has just the right mixture of seriousness and humor. Right. And he is just just what the movie needs mm -hmm. right at that moment. Yeah. I just, I love that. And he's, like, living in this creepy kind of graveyard of warriors and horses. Right. Right next to the ocean. And it's just really neat. I mean, it's very difficult for me because we're talking about this movie right now. And everything we say makes me want to say something else. So it's just like my brain is just exploding out in every direction. There's so much imagination in this. It is. And, and every detail is thought out. Yes. Like they didn't, you know, leave any stone unturned here. I just started thinking about the production design. Ron Cobb. Who also plays the, the Stygian salesman. Oh, man. What a scene that is. That's so great. What a scene. I mean, this is the this is actually the scene I remember the most um, from when I was a kid and saw this. 
because somehow I watched this when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I have it was no on idea. TV a lot. It was on TV a lot. Yeah, that's true. But like you know, I remember seeing like the Wolf Witch, which has like nudity and things like this. So I oh, don't, wow. I don't know how I saw like the movie with like you know all the boobs, which Pay usually. TV? When, Maybe, but we didn't even have that. Like, I don't... Rental? VHS I don't, rental? Maybe, but we didn't have a VCR. I mean, I don't I don't know. I must have seen it, like, a little bit later somehow. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure my dad loved this movie. Yeah. Because my dad is, like, you know, obsessed with, like, dragons. Mm-hmm. And, like, he would have loved something like this with, like, the sword fighting and Conan and... Like Arnold Schwarzenegger and this huge, you know, beefy dude. He would have really liked seeing all that. I'm sure he would have had a huge crush on Valeria. How could you not? I mean, um, and so I'm sure that I must have seen it because of my dad. But I remember, you know, the thing that I remember the most is right after the Stygian scene where Conan punches out the camel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember seeing that when I was a little kid, so I don't know how, but I must have. You know, we might have actually, I might have seen this at the drive-in. Okay. Like, my dad and mom might have gone to the drive-in, and I might have just been, you know, sitting in the little back seat of our car watching this at the drive-in. That kind of makes sense. I don't know. I'll ask my mom. Well, I hope the camel didn't get hurt. That was always the thing I, <laughs> I wonder. I'm like, I hope he's okay. Because they talked a lot about the stunt horses that they had in the film. And there are some insane stunts that these horses do. Yeah. With people flying off of them, you know? It's like, you know, the horse trips or someone attacks them and knocks them off the horse. Yeah. I mean, all of the action elements in this were so well planned. And real, like everything. Yeah, everybody was doing like practical stunts. They were really flying off of things yeah. and really climbing that snake tower. Yeah, they really built this snake tower, and it was massive. It was intricate. The actors actually scaled this tower. Yeah. You know, and, and when you see someone actually fall down the well, like all of the layers, that was their stunt coordinator, yeah. Terry Leonard, right? Yeah, and he did it man that guy yeah. was not messing around no i mean i think he hurt his heel maybe i think he broke his heel yeah or something. i think people had <laughs> there were definitely injuries oh yeah on the set but i mean people because people were doing real stuff well and also i mean they actually used real swords they did and they shot real arrows like i believe in the scene which we're gonna have to go into in more detail oh, with of the course. snake yeah um which is one of the most fantastic things i rem- and this is another thing i remember from being a little kid because yeah. it blew my mind completely um but when like they shoot arrows into the snake which is maybe like two feet over arnold schwarzenegger's head mm-hmm. that was like real arrows and it's john millius shooting them yeah he said it was terrifying yeah and this doesn't strike me as a guy that would ever say, I'm terrified. I feel like he would persevere. <laughs> yeah, but that is a little scary. You're about, I, yeah. about to shoot your lead actor in the head with an arrow. <laughs> I wouldn't want that responsibility. I would not be the guy. I would no. just say, I'm out. I'm out, guys. Yeah, I think I would pass on that, too. That snake was so big that they couldn't actually fit it into the tower. So they could only fit the, like, the, the front half of it in there. 
And so it was like, you know, it did move, it was mechanical, but they also used a rubber snake as well. And they said they had like some pulleys, some ropes on it to, to manipulate it. And I think it looks great. I've always thought it looked great. Yeah, I mean, everybody that was talking in these behind the scenes docs that we watch yeah. as a supplement to the movie was kind of talking about how, like, the snake wasn't exactly what they hoped. And I'm like, are you guys stupid? Like, yeah, I, I think it's amazing. I I was, like, blown away when I was a little kid and I saw that. I was terrified. I thought it was real. Yeah, like, it took me to the next level. Like, this movie has so much action. And it keeps moving forward, and it keeps surprising you. Yeah. And when this massive snake appeared, I was like, "Whoa!" Well, I mean, and I, d I mean, seriously, like seeing this when I was young, mm -hmm. it really like imprinted a lot of things on me. Sure. Like I remember the girl like getting like hypnotized by the priest there, which I believe is Ben Davidson. Um. You know, and then she jumps into the hole right. where the snake is, mm -hmm. like she's going to be eaten. And I was just like, oh, my God, this is a thing that really scared me. Yeah. Um, and James Earl Jones, I find terrifying as Thulsa Doom. It very terrifying. He transforms into a snake later, <sighs> which is actually, I think they did mostly with like a rubber mask type of an effect. So practical again. Well, I think this was pretty neat. I think what they said was, so they had like his, his, uh, James Earl Jones's face. Okay. And it was rubber. And then behind it was the snake head and they pushed it out. So like the transformation, in my opinion, again, very, very believable. Yeah. The scariest part of the transformation for me is when James Earl Jones tucks up his hands and sneaks them back into the rope yeah. yeah, into the sleeves of the rope yeah like oh i i don't know why but every time i'm like oh yeah, no it's so scary i mean yeah when you're watching this even now i mm -hmm. still have like that residual feeling of kind of fear that i had i think when i was a little kid it is it's just really well done i just think this movie is really 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 well done it sets the stage very early. I feel like this is such a well-plotted film. You know, we come from the beginning and we get that Nietzsche quote, that which doesn't kill us makes us stronger, right? Yeah. And what do we see? You know, what do we see after that? We get Mako doing that opening where he talks about, you know, the, the seas drinking Atlantis, which I love. And it's very interesting that that was originally supposed to be Arnold Schwarzenegger, but the studio said that he would be too difficult to understand. So they made Mako do it. I have to say, I love the choice of Mako doing it because when I think of that film, you know, that's what I think about is that opening bit. And it's a black screen. So the only thing we're focused on are the words. And after he says, let us tell you of the days of high adventure, you know, we cut right into that amazing score by Basil Polidorus. Oh, my gosh. Right? It's so good. And I'm like, dum, dum, dum. You're like, yeah. And then we're making the sword. And it's like, that's the entire movie. Yeah. It's all about that sword, getting that sword back. His parents make the sword from scratch, yeah. you know, and, and you see that and, and you see William Smith making it. And he kind of has like a Viking-esque look, in my opinion. I agree. And then, you know, you have Conan's mother and she's wrapping the leather she around the hilt. She has a Viking-esque look, too. Yes. Yeah. These people look like ancient, you know, 
northern europeans like mm-hmm. it works and his father then goes into the monologue or i mean he's just teaching the son mm-hmm. about the steel yes you know and how they received the gift of steel yeah from the gods and it's you know really again like this epic high fantasy thing and it's it's so great i love it and he and it sounds like he's talking about like the atlantean giants and everything yeah and later on when conan is freed because he starts out life basically as a slave he falls into that crypt in the ground mm-hmm. with and we found out you know we didn't actually know who this person is that's buried down there no clue no clue no idea Mm -mm. this whole time both of us kind of had thought maybe that was supposed to be a representation of crom which is conan's god Mm -hmm. but in the commentary john millis explains that this is like an atlantean general yeah um so it's like this giant person who is their skeleton and that's where conan gets his his sword that he uses throughout the movie yep and it's like yeah it's an atlantean general who was larger than a regular human. He, he makes a point to say that, and I never had thought about it. And I was like, oh, okay, because he's on the throne. And they said it, it was an Atlantean general with his harem. And when Conan takes the sword from the Atlantean general, you know, and then he cleans it up and everything, the, the skeleton crumbles because yeah. it's like his mission is complete. Yeah, it's like it almost like bows its head yeah. as if it's handing its, you know purpose over to him at this point sort of i think that's exactly it i mean it's just like in before he goes into he falls into this tomb you know or or throne room tomb i don't know what we want to call it but he's running from these really wild wolves and there was an animal trainer but they said that the wolves really couldn't be trained and they really wanted to bite him and we actually saw an outtake you know because he has to climb up these rocks where he couldn't find his foothold and so these wolves caught up with him and pulled him down you know and he got hurt and you're like oh my god so it's like all these things that these people are doing Again, they're really doing them. Yeah, they are. There's this wasn't, you know, acting as much as it was just like putting them into the actual situation. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty amazing. But sorry, I skipped ahead. Well, no, let me tell you this. When he comes out, okay, when he comes out of the tomb and he has this amazing sword, okay, he cuts his chains off, right? And then he kind of looks to the camera in almost like this model pose. <laughs> and then it's a hard cut. And the next time we see him, he's wearing all of the wolf skins. Yeah, I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> I actually never noticed that until we watched it at the theater. Mm-hmm. That like that, you know, that happened. But right. it was very funny. But that's that's actually the part where he's gone off on his own. So we I skipped ahead a bit. But there was this whole part um, after his mother is killed. And as a child, he's taken into slavery. Can we talk about the shot where the mother is killed? I don't think we ever finished that. No, I think you're right. And it is one of the coolest things I've seen the way that they did it. Because it could have been done really graphic. Mm -hmm. You know, her head is severed with the sword. But really, they keep the camera on young Conan the whole time he's holding her hand mm-hmm. and as they cut her head off you see the head like tumble and the mother's body just falls 
over. Yeah. And her hand leaves his hand. Yes. And it's just very powerful. You feel it. You feel, you know, that, that he's alone. And it isn't a gory scene. Like, we don't mm -hmm. see a blood spray. We don't even see the actual blade strike her neck. No. And, I mean, and this is on top of the fact that, again, Thalsa Doom is looking at her. We think there's going to be mercy. There's a question of what's going to happen. Did he enchant her? We're not sure. It's terrifying, you know, as an audience. Because a parent and a child, you know what I mean? She is the last one standing, yeah. you know, with Conan. And so Thalsa Doom, you know, it seems like they're going to let her be. Slowly turns, and then he comes back fast, and then, bang, knocks yeah. it right off. Knocks her head off in one go. Yeah. And, yeah, then Co young Conan is left alone. Um, they kind of train him up with all the other kids that they captured. At the Wheel of Pain. Yeah, and they yeah they bring him to this Wheel of Pain and tie him up to that and just put him in a motion of traveling around the circle, grinding grain right. for what must be the next 10 years, maybe even more. I, I'd say, I mean, I never could gauge it. But it's like the way that we could tell that progress is some fantastic editing. Yeah. You know, because we're able to just see, you know, as Conan grows older. Yeah. Because we go from, you know, the child to something older. And then maybe there's even something older before we finally get to Conan. And he lifts his head. And then we go, okay. Yeah, this and is this Conan. is Arnold. This is our intro to Arnold as Conan. And he is the only one pushing the wheel at this point there's no one else yeah, everyone else that was chained up is gone he's dead. the last one standing yeah basically and that was kind of hearkening back to that what doesn't kill us make us makes us stronger um from the beginning yeah it's right there and again ron cobb amazing amazing set you know, and, and it's like we see the conceptual drawings. There are some fantastic special features on the Blu-ray, you know, where we can see kind of where the ideas of things were. And he talked about, for Thalsa Doom's cult, how he approached it almost like a corporation, where he wanted to keep the branding the same across. With all the snake imagery. Yeah. yeah. That's really great. But with the Wheel of Pain, that actually, unless I'm remembering wrong functioned like a, a grain mill like it turned oh yeah it turned and you could see you know the mechanism inside i don't know if we actually saw the grain come out or if it if it was if it was functioning but wow that would be amazing it, i think that they were saying like it worked you know it spun the wheel and it it turned those tumblers on the bottom that would have been the grinders wow. so i guess it worked and it, isn't it based on an ancient, like, design? I think so, yeah. 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 Wow. And I felt like, you know, that's another thing that I never forgot. I, I saw that and I thought about being, you know, I was a child when I saw the movie. I'm thinking about being chained to this wheel. Right. You know, and that's your life is just pushing this wheel around. It makes me think of, like, when you're stuck in a job that you just don't <laughs> want to be at and you're kind of, like, biding time. You know, it's like, for the average person, would be like pumping gas you know what i mean but instead he he's pushing this wheel and, and what i found interesting about it is that it fully developed his body 
Yeah. You know, and again, we talked about Darwinism. It was survival of the fittest. Yeah. And he is massive when he yeah. comes out of there. Absolutely. He's the strongest person. He's the only one who we assume made it. Yeah. And the way that he, you know, was finally brought away from the wheel is by being purchased mm-hmm. to become a pit fighter. And um, that he's very successful at it, although it doesn't come right away. No, because you know? he's innocent. He yeah. doesn't really know that much about combat. You know, they, they sit him down, you know, staring at another guy. And they sit there in silence looking at each other before the fight. And the guy he fights has, like, these sharpened teeth, you know. And, and like, the fight begins. And Conan, you can see the innocence. He doesn't know what's going on. And then this guy is biting him. And then finally he fights back. Yeah, his instinct kind of takes over Mm -hmm. his preservation of self. Yeah. And he goes, you know, he ends up beating the guy. And then he gets, like, the accolades. Mm -hmm. um, And that is what drives him to move forward with this pit fighting. Because he's successful at it, his kind of master takes him around to different places to get more combat training. And he continues to win. And at one point... Like the the kind of slave owner, master, whatever, kind of feels like, I don't know if he has some sense of remorse or it's like he just feels that he has to free him, but he sets him free. Well, yes, he, he does set him free, but it's like he takes him through all of these fights and we see, you know, Conan's progression as a fighter. And it goes from like a, an innocence or a fear to being something where he loves the thrill of the fight. And also John Milley has talked about this empty look because it's like when you accomplish your goal, there's like this, this almost emptiness to you. And I also think if you're just extinguishing lives like that, I, I, I can't imagine what, what that would be like. Well, I mean, and I don't know. I don't know if Conan has a, a remorse about that or what, or if it's just, the way of the world that I they're think, in. Yeah, I feel like it's just like you're, you're thrown into that situation. You know, he doesn't really have a normal life. Like, he has his parents, right? And then he's gone 10 years or so, maybe more, on this wheel. And then he's just thrown into fighting. Which I is mean, like a kill-or-be-killed kind of a fight. Right. And, you know, he obviously doesn't want to be killed. It's all self-preservation. Mm-hmm. But he is the kind of person that rises to all these challenges. Right. And again, if it doesn't kill him, it makes him stronger. That That is the theme kind of of this movie, and it's yeah. the thing that they keep going back to. Yeah, they say it's strength. That John Milius said the big thing with this, the theme of this film was strength, because there were supposed to be three films, and each one was going to focus on a certain trait, a certain deal. And, um, you know, unfortunately... Those other two films, you know, didn't show up, I think, the way that they originally planned. I mean, we did get Conan the Destroyer, which I am eternally grateful for because that was a PG rated film that I could see in the theater, you know, and I had had, you know, some great times watching, you know, the other film. You know, I had seen it edited, so I'm imagining it was on television or maybe I didn't see Conan the Barbarian until after. But I, I certainly did not see Conan the Barbarian in theaters until, you know, we, we just saw it. But, um, you know, it, it it's like they just kept training him. I felt like with his master, he was impressed 
at how much he was learning. And it was like they had created this efficient killing machine. And it's like they wanted to see how much more they could develop him. It felt like if you were involved, perhaps like in the military or the CIA, they wanted to make you the best, you know, the best. They had this deal where they had him with a woman. And they, yes. they wanted them to have sex just so that, you know, she could have a child that's of his strength. Yeah, they said they bred him to the finest stock. Yeah, and that was a weird Again, scene. Again, it was more of a survival of the fittest thing because they would want the woman to, you know, have the child of the strongest man. So yeah. they would, like, use him as, like, a, a stallion almost or something. It's It, it was creepy. It's gross. It was it's dehumanizing. Like, it's dehumanizing. It's very animal, you know. It's like they're treating him like a farm animal or something. Because he had that fence in front of him. He, because he, he lived yeah. basically in a cage. Yeah. And all these people were looking in, and this terrified woman comes in. She doesn't know what's going on. And, 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 you know, it's very awkward, but then finally, you know, they get down to, yeah. you know, having sex. And then we get out of there, thankfully. We don't, I, I, I yeah, mean, that I was a very know. uncomfortable scene. I didn't dig that. No, no. It's uncomfortable on many levels. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, I think it's, I get what the point of it is and what they were trying to do. Um, and I, what I sensed when he was freed mm-hmm. is that the owner kind of almost felt like, you know, yes, I could keep him and keep doing all the stuff, but it's like almost a shame to continue to keep this person who is such a fine, you know, specimen. You know, it's like they've done so many things to develop him. Right. That keeping him prisoner is like, you know, almost a shame. It well, felt. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they teach him, you know, again, the, the other two things I want to point out before they release him. You know, he has that line, uh, you know, when he's asked what is best in life. Oh, yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Okay. You know, so it's like, you know, the big line came in the theater, you know, <laughs> what is best in life. And then this other person speaks. I never remember what they said, because honestly, to me, I'm just like, yeah, whatever. Well, he's Well, it's I think that he's hanging out with like Mongolian kind of steppe warriors at this point point mm-hmm. and that guy says something about like the air of the step running something through, like you that know, yeah and the, and the feeling of being on a horse and all this kind of stuff and they're like no yeah <laughs> they're like what is best in life and conan says to crush your enemies to see them driven before you and to hear the lamentations of the women <laughs> and in our theater this guy goes amen brother <laughs> It was insane. The entire theater erupted into applause. And, like, you didn't really expect that because the theater, you know, was pretty chill. Like, people were excited to see the film, but you never expected people to go berserk when they heard this line. But this is one that you hear all the time, you know? And it's like... The, where it goes from here is that Conan is trained by a, a sword master to refine his fighting. You know, and he's played by Kiyoshi Yamasaki. And it's amazing because he actually was like a, a sword trainer, the swordsman on the film. So it's like this wonderful meta moment. And so there's Conan and then there's this other guy. Yeah. Okay. And so, you know, Conan goes to perform this move. And well, I'm gonna I'm gonna step back. So 
the Kiyoshi Yamasaki person is amazing. We saw that this brief documentary on him, this brief interview. That was my favorite part of the interview of that documentary. Yeah. And he, he was so good. And, and he's like, he's just this really happy, joyful man. And he's very skilled. And he said, you know, before the scene, John Milius told him, you know, don't hold back. I really want you to hit Arnold. I really want you to hit this other actor. I want you to go for it. So, okay, we're in the scene with the sword master and Conan is trying to perform this move and he doesn't do it well enough. And so the sword master, you know, rebukes him, slaps him in the face. The other person laughs and snickers. He's a real jerk. Yeah. And so what happens is the sword master goes over and just kicks him full force yeah. and just knocks him to the ground. And it's amazing. <laughs> and Kiyoshi Yamasaki was like, ha, not laughing now. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. It made me laugh so much when he says that. Oh my God, I love it. But yeah, I mean, this was what was interesting to me is that like we're in kind of prehistory times, but mm -hmm. I feel like they were also more like the Middle Ages a little bit yeah, or the Dark Ages. Um, and I was kind of this time trying to like figure out like the geography of what we were doing here. Right. But I mean, I'm assuming that Conan was supposed to be like Northern European slash maybe like russia like where russia is now or something mm -hmm. and like he travels to like mongolia china kind of it seems like even japan somehow mm -hmm. although we didn't see him crossing in a boat yeah um so it was really interesting to me that this character in the times before there was like easy transportation is like traversing like the known world yeah, what's really crazy is, like, they started in Yugoslavia, right? And then they said there was, like, the threat of perhaps, like, war, conflict. Mm -hmm. So then they moved to Spain. And the terrain in Spain is amazing. Yeah, the, the locations in this oh. are really stunning. There's just different, just different landscapes. And then there's these huge, like, open fields and mm -hmm. mountains. And then there's these rock formations. Yeah. Like in the Wolf Witch house or whatever, there's like these weird rocks that almost look like little huts or something. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool. I don't know. And they, that was like a real place. And not only did they find it, but they also found a way to drag all of their equipment up there and stuff, too. So props to their production team. Right. I mean, well, this is a very difficult shoot. That's what everyone said. I mean, I would say, you know, as the audience, it was well worth it. But, you know, there were many stitches. I believe that Sandal Bergman had uh, a severed index finger at one I think point. she said that, yeah. Because yeah. The, the scene that she was in at the end when they escape um, from kidnapping Osric's daughter back, mm -hmm. um, she was in a sword fight. And the person that she was in the fight with was an extra and they weren't really trained extensively mm -hmm. and they ended up hitting her hand and getting her finger caught in between the two swords I think. yeah it, i mean it's crazy i mean there there were just so many injuries all around you yeah. know and it, it was just like you really had to be you know so tough i mean there was one scene again going back to that alanian throne room where you know schwarzenegger falls down these stone steps and he said to John Milius, 
you know, I, I'm bleeding. And he goes, yeah, it looks great. You know what I mean? He's like, like really yeah. bleeding. You know? Didn't really make you want to make a movie with John Milius, any of these behind the scenes stories. No, because he is so, he is so invested in his story. You know, he doesn't see the actors as actors. He sees Conan. Yeah. He sees Valeria. He sees Subutai. Yeah. You know, these are the people that, that, that he sees. You know, and I, I mean, speaking of Subutai, Jerry Lopez, I think we might have touched on this, but I really want to dig in. Yeah. Jerry Lopez is so good in this film. Yeah. He's, he's so good. He makes like this fantastic sidekick because he's interesting into himself. Like the way that they end up meeting each other is after the wolf witch scene mm-hmm. um, when Conan kind of like throws her into the fire. Yeah. And then she kind of transforms into fire and shoots out of the building or whatever mm-hmm. he's leaving the next day and he runs into this dude who's just chained up to the rocks yeah and he's like what are you doing you know yeah yeah and he tells him that he was kind of there trapped for food um and she was gonna eat him oh, or whatever man. Um, but it's, and he's a rogue and a, he's like an archer and a thief. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, really a stock character in these types of things. I mean, one of my favorite video games is Dragon Age Inquisition mm-hmm. and they have like a, a character is just called a rogue, which is like an archery dagger kind of specialist who also is a thief. Like one of the first things that you can get is like a picking like a a lock picking ability where okay. you can pick a, a better lock mm-hmm. um and that's really cool yeah i mean well he's got so much precision and grace in his movements as well i mean we've talked about it with sandal bergman you know with conan you know with arnold schwarzenegger he does move fluidly but Jerry Lopez is just, it's like, I almost feel like he is surfing, you know, I when he's too. running. Yeah. It's like, that's just the kind of fluidity that he has in mm-hmm. his motion. And like, he's the one who kind of jumps up later and saves Osric's daughter. Yeah. From being hit by another snake arrow. We haven't talked about the snake no, arrows. Oh, yeah. Um, but he jumps, you know, he's able to run up this hill and like jump in front of her just in the nick of time. Mm-hmm. And then also, he's kind of like the, the heart of the movie. Yes. After Valeria dies and Conan like does the ritual of like burning her body. Mm hmm. You know, Mako is there and it's like, are you crying? And and uh, Subutai says, yes, because he won't cry, so I'll cry for him. Oh, my God. And, like, he's really crying, and it's really good. It's so great. It's so emotional. Like, even you saying it, I remember it. And that's, yeah, he is, he is the, the heart of the film. I mean, because he does express, he does emote. The scene that we have with Conan you know, where the two are sitting around the fire and they're each talking about their individual gods. I love that scene. Yeah. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger talks about Krom. He talks about the four winds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's it's just so great because it's like, well, my god's better. No, my god's <laughs> better. You know? Yeah, and they're eating, like, this meat, you know, that they've cooked over the flame. Mm-hmm. And Arnold Schwarzenegger is explaining about Krom and that he's the, you know, god of earth. You know, it's like an earthy type of god. And uh, Subutai's god is the sky, 
And he says, my God's better than yours because he's over him. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's perfect. It's perfect. And it's like, you know, and then they also, they go get stoned, right? They buy yeah, with the, the Stygian, the Black Lotus Stygian, the best. <laughs> I mean, and again, you pointed it out. Like, it's so good. It's so good that this production designer, Ron Cobb, who has such an amazing stamp on this film. And when we looked it up, you know, he was involved, you know, in the art department on so many amazing, amazing films. Yeah. And you know, he, he did the lion's share of really making this movie feel authentic. Yeah. As far as like the the set design goes, because he used like ancient like architecture and mm-hmm. You know, I just think that I I was so impressed because you see this ancient craftsmanship that people had, Mm -hmm. you know, when you look at ruins and stuff. And not everything is built just for function. There are things that are built just for art's sake in those places, you know, these sculptural pieces and things like that. And he did a wonderful job of incorporating things like that. And I just love it like it's it makes the world real you know these are all these things coming together that make this a really successful movie for me and it's funny because i i looked you know imdb i checked it out you know we always do that and look at the trivia and things like that and this doesn't really have that high of a rating um their user rating is really low for me i feel like it's really underrated um, it's only rated a 6.9 out of 10. No way. For me, this is darn near a 10 out of 10 because, yeah, I get it. It's not like the perfect acting. Like Arnold Schwarzenegger was an early movie for him. But, you know, that's balanced out by some of the people who come into this movie bringing like their 100% A game, like James Earl Jones, right. like Max von Sydow. Yes as King Osric and who has a very small part, but he's so unforgettable in it. Yeah. He's not a person that you think about the film and you forget that he's in it. He's a guy that he has so much weight. And I thought it was very interesting when we, uh, you know, saw like the interview piece with him and he said his son was a fan of Conan growing up, you know, and he also said that at that point in his career, he was getting a lot of roles that were very, you know, like reserved. And this was something that was more theatrical. And he was so excited, you know, to, to work on this. And he was, you know, an acting mentor to Arnold Schwarzenegger, along with James Earl Jones. So, like, these heavyweights came in and really, you know, coached him. You know, I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I'm going back to Ron Cobb for a second. I just want to point out some of his amazing credits. He was a production designer on The Last Starfighter, uh, had some work in Alien, Aliens, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean, you could go on there. I mean, this Well, guy Ron is... Cobb is going to be like our MVP of the sci-fi movies that we talk about, too, because all of those are great. Yeah. All of those. And, and it's just like you can tell the quality of this person's work that they bring so much. And they seemed so joyful in their interview about their job. They loved it. They loved talking about it. And they also, I, I mean, this was pretty great. Uh, in the film, his wife is in it. 
And also, you know, John Milius' ex-wife is in it, too. So it was like everybody came in. Well, yeah, and John Milius, of course, had a role, which he cut himself from the film. <laughs> yeah, he was like a lizard-on-a-stick salesman. <laughs> um, and we did see the deleted scene, and yeah. I have to agree that it doesn't really fit, but it is a great extra. Yeah. Um, and we do see Conan walking around eating the lizard on a stick. Yeah, it's so good. And I, I really loved that part, too, because, you know, again, we have this guy who hasn't ever had freedom, right? Mm -hmm. He's been a slave tied to the wheel for years and years. Yep. Then he was a pit fighter, and, of mm -hmm. course, he got to travel, but his travel was was you know guided by someone else mm -hmm. and this is after he's freed and he connects with Subutai and they become friends and I would actually say this is probably the first friend that he's had yeah you know he hasn't had a chance to befriend anyone until this point and the two of them are like these young guys mm -hmm. they're out in the world and they go together into these cities and get to actually explore it and it's a learning and growing experience and a developmental experience for Conan mm -hmm. to, you know, explore all of these things. It's like all it's like his college years, you know. <laughs> well, and, and he Conan as, the college years. I want to see that. <laughs> well, he and Subutai also run everywhere, and that that's something that they make a point to show. And you know, I think that another part of that is to really highlight the freedom. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because they're running in these wide open spaces, mm -hmm. these huge fields, you know, of, of, you know, wheat and grain and these mountains in the backdrop. And I just I love that part. It, it highlights their freedom, their youth mm -hmm. and, you know, the, the relationship that develops between those two characters is really great. You know, and then they meet Valeria and go into, you know, kind of the more revenge focused portion of things you know right. in the back of conan's mind the whole time he's always wanted to avenge his parents yeah and you know he's always been looking and seeking the snake cult of thulsa doom because he wants to kill thulsa doom that's what he wants to do and the, and he also wants to kill thor grim and rexor yeah because well they were instrumental in his parents deaths mm -hmm. and in burning down this village and taking everything away from him which is the formative experience of conan's life yeah so you know he once they find this tower where the snake is kept you know, that's kind of the first step in him really concretely moving toward this revenge plan. But he does get derailed because what do they find? They find wealth, mm -hmm. you know. And so he, Valeria, and Subutai find a lot of jewels. And they're, you know, more wealthy than they ever have been in their lives. And they get kind of momentarily drunk on that. Absolutely. You know, and for Valeria and Subutai, that is kind of almost the goal in and of itself, mm -hmm. is to have enough wealth to do whatever they want. And they achieve that immediately in the Snake Tower. For Conan, that's not enough. And he ends up leaving them because he want, he still wants to seek that revenge and close that chapter well it's interesting because yes that is that is exactly it you know when they just go to this tavern and they have this place that they live in 
you know, they're just drinking all the time, you know, and, and the biggest thing that they got from that tower is this huge ruby called the Eye of the Serpent. And it's such a great scene because he's there. Conan is sitting with Valeria and she's reaching over because she wants to take, you know, these jewels. Mm-hmm. But that's when you realize he truly loves her because he gives her the Eye of the Serpent, which is by far the most precious thing. Yeah. Gives it to her willingly. And I think that's when it's like, oh my God. It's like he values me more than the loot. Yeah. And, and that's you know? a really meaningful thing because the you know they their relationship develops at that point mm-hmm. and you know they spend the night together mm-hmm. and you see that it's not just sex there's also like a tenderness between yes. them and there's also a fear because she clearly feels like you know she's never had this much in her life this much wealth this much love this much to lose oh yeah and you can see that in her face like sandal bergman expresses it perfectly Mm -hmm. and she's desperate for conan to stay there and to kind of give up on this revenge plot but he can't because that's who he is as a person until he does that he cannot be satisfied and that's what we're dealing with it's well it's it's a very difficult situation we actually see a a situation where he found love which is something that everyone would would you know work their whole lives towards you know i mean maybe some people would but i i would think a lot of people would you know and he finds you know what i mean that love and again it's like just like the choice to give valeria the biggest jewel Mm -hmm. right It, it is it is the same thing to say i can i can't stay here and love you i have to do this yeah and it's 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 heartbreaking because you know i mean we know how the the rest of the film transpires yeah you know because when he runs off and he goes to to get thulsa doom he gets caught yeah and he gets beaten up so badly to a pulp yeah and he is like just a mess. We do get a hilarious line, though, to <laughs> okay. kind of, you know, break up, yeah. you know, the brutality. Well, the reason that they're so mad, you know, of course, Thulsa Doom is pissed because he took the Eye of the Serpent. Mm-hmm. He's very mad about that. Yeah. And, you know, he says that Thorgrim is heartbroken because they've killed the snake. And then they just, they go over to him, and it's just so good. Yeah, they cut it's to so... Sven Oli Thorson, and he's just like, yeah, it's pretty <laughs> awful. I mean, it's funny because he doesn't seem to be, like, heartbroken, but it's really funny. I mean, because the Thulsa Doom is kind of like, you killed the snake. He raised it from a baby. He's heartbroken. <laughs> you know, Thorgrim's like, yeah, I'm bombed, man. Yeah. <laughs> he just kind of looks down, and it's like, I also love the fact that for some reason, Sven Oli Thorson makes me think about Don Dawkin, you know? <laughs> and it's the, like, Maybe it's the hair, I don't know. Yeah, and it's like, it just, again, it kind of ties into, like, you know, this 80s metal. For you... me, it's kind of more like Bruce Dickinson from Iron Maiden. Oh, wow, okay. It's like more, I don't know, that's who I think of. No, it's, I, I will totally And then, of course, that. you know... <laughs> Of course, uh, Rex or Ben Davidson, it's like Lemmy from Motorhead. All the way. Big time. All the way. That's all I see. I I mean, well, and also with Thor Grimm and Rexor, 
not only are, are they physically imposing, and not only, in particular with Ben Davidson, is his face imposing, his gaze imposing. And I think that must be from, you know, NFL. You well, know? and then also, like, they put him in this helmet. Yes. I mean, he's already 6'8", and mm-hmm. then they put him in this tall helmet with, like, these snake-looking horns on the top mm-hmm. that makes him even, like, I don't know, a foot taller. I mean, does he need to be eight feet tall? <laughs> And his, you know, he, he's the one who ends up with Conan's father's sword. Mm-hmm. And when they have kind of their fight um, in the end, I guess I should, you know, do that full context of that fight. You know, they know that Thulsa Doom and his dudes are coming after them. And they kind of set up that whole area mm-hmm. to be like the perfect field of battle. So they have like traps and things. Yeah. And Thorgrim ends up being killed by one of these traps. He's, like, impaled on the spike that, like, swings around and stabs him. Yeah. Um, and then when Conan faces Rexor, he's actually facing his father's sword. Mm-hmm. And when they're fighting, he breaks it. So his Atlantean general sword that he uses breaks the father's sword. Yeah. And it's like, that is almost like the point at which, you know, the father's spirit is, like, released, you know, and and Conan has the broken sword that he takes to kill Thulsa Doom. So he has both. Yeah, he, he does. I mean, one of the, the biggest things in that, that final battle, and, and this, again, goes back to talking about Valeria, is when Conan, you know, they they rescue him from his crucifixion. Mm-hmm. You know, that's such a great scene, you know, because you see Subatai running, right? And Conan thinks, you know, he's just hallucinating. Yeah, because he's dying. I mean, he's been hooked on this tree for, like, I don't know how long. Yeah. But he's wasting. He's, bl- he's bloody. He's been picked at by vultures. Ugh. He's sunburned. Yeah. Like, he's he's trucked out pretty yeah. bad he's done and and yeah. it's like well then we heard the oh man the gross trivia of it was actually like a dead vulture that he bites the neck of and after every take they would give him some stuff to wash out his mouth to make sure he didn't get like some kind of weird disease yeah or, oh god was so gross it was look that was like one of the hardest things because like oh my god so it's like okay they get conan back and they take Conan to the wizard, to Mako. And, you know, Valeria is like, you have to bring him back. And, you know, she is not taking no for an answer. Totally. And he's like, look, you know, if we do this, you are going to have to pay a heavy price. And she's like, I don't care. We're doing it. Yeah, she, like, doesn't think twice about it. Mm-mm. It's like, that's what it's worth to get him back. And so, the, you know, they do get him back. Well, it, let's talk about how they get him back. Yeah, they have to paint or draw, like, words on every inch of his body. Mm-hmm. Because if there's any part of him that's not covered, the spirits will take that. Yeah. Um. So, you know, they have to cover him in writing. Then they wrap him up like a mummy, almost. And they kind of tie him to this, I don't even, it's like these four little posts. Mm-hmm they've tied him to and it might even be two posts but yeah same thing yeah i mean he's tied up Mm -hmm. and and he's on these posts and ropes 
and you know the night comes and these like red demons come to take him yes and again like i'd said this before because it's one of my favorite scenes like valeria fights these things off you know physically she like beats them away from him and, and you know he ends up you, they but you still don't know if he's okay no you don't know if he's okay and what's even crazier about that is one of the special features we got to see sandal bergman fighting off these demons and and you know there's nothing there she's right. reacting to nothing because that was added yeah you know, imposed it's a special effect mm-hmm. but it's it's so crazy to see her doing it because she like that's an amazing scene i can't yes. believe how great she was in it i'm very impressed uh because when you're watching it you think she's fighting these demons off like i kind of didn't even question it when I was watching, I didn't think about the fact that it's really just this actor who's like beating at the air, you know, because there's nothing there, but she's unbelievable in that scene. And, you know, the emotion of it is so crazy. Like, you know, she loves Conan, like, like Valeria, you know, she's fully devoted to him. And when he, you know, in the morning, when the sun comes, he still kind of seems cold but you know then he does come back to life and she's so happy to have him back and what she says to him there to me is like the like that part gets me every single time so he gets up and she's like you know uh, basically i am not gonna let anything come between us i'm not gonna let any gods come between us I'm always going to be there for you. If I'm dead and you are still fighting, I will come back from the pits of hell to fight at your side. Yeah, and she actually does do that. Yeah, and she she saves his life. Because in the fight, his final battle with, with Rexor, you know, he is, you know, he is kind of caught off guard. And what happens is Rexor's blade comes down. And Valeria shows up in Valkyrie form with this shining silver armor, and her sword blocks Rexor's sword, and she temporarily blinds him with light. Yeah. And that gives Conan the advantage to finish the battle. And and yeah. she says, oh, what does she say? What, do you want to live forever? Yeah. Oh, my God. Like, oh, it's I love so her. so good, because they're, you know, it's just the perfect people for each other that's what i love about conan and valeria you know there's no one else that could have matched either one of those people no the way that they match each other it's great when they go to take back the princess the orgy scene yeah yeah uh, that scene is so crazy Mm -hmm. and you know there's all these weird people this is like boy i mean this is like a fever pitch the movie reaches at this point. Yeah. We have Subatai, Conan, and Valeria. They're, like, painted with, like, this weird black and white. Mm-hmm. And then you have all these crazy, weird people in the orgy scene, in this kind of chamber. Mm-hmm. And they're also cooking, like, the cannibal soup yeah. that we talked about before, which is a disgusting green color and has, like, all this hand and, like, body parts and stuff in it. The guy's, like, stirring it yeah. up. And we keep seeing it. And you see all, like, of these carcasses that they've, like, put into this soup. Oh, and, like, so I, gross. John Milius said what? It was, like, split pea and hand soup. Yeah, that's what their joke was. <laughs> that was their big joke. And, like, you know, you actually see 
Um, I'm not sure if it's Osric's daughter or someone else actually takes a bite of a hand that's yeah, in the gross. soup. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a very heavy, heavy scene because it, it's so, like, upsetting to me that, like, we have this massive orgy scene with cannibalism. Yeah. And the idea that all these people in the orgy are eventually going to become this soup and another round of people are, are going to do it. And then you kind of wonder what kind of role James Earl Jones plays in the whole game when he turns into the big snake. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He's like kind of presiding over this yeah. thing. Like he's sitting up above all the pit where everyone is mm-hmm. with Osric's daughter. Yeah. And... You know, this is when he transforms into the snake and and sneaks off, mm-hmm. kind of. And that's when Conan, Valeria, and Subutai show up. And there's this huge showdown mm-hmm. with all the people. But they manage to escape with the princess. And, you know, everything feels good. Like, we're, we did what we needed to do. We got the princess. We're going to go. Right. And, you know, you also even have the question of, has Conan decided that they're just going to take the princess and leave? Yeah. You know, has he just decided, you know, I'm not going to seek this revenge anymore. I'm just going to, you know, take it as done and just move on. Mm-hmm. But then as they're riding away, Thulsa Doom takes a snake. He stretches it out and like with his sorcery kind of, you know, hardens and straightens it and turns it into an arrow that he shoots at Valeria. Yep. Well, he shoots at all of them, but it hits Valeria in the chest and it's enchanted. And so basically there's no, there's no relief from this situation. She's going to die. And that's, you know, that kind of cements the fact that yes, Conan is going to have to go back and seek revenge. Yeah, because Mako can't help. No. You know, it, it's just it's just so well done because that battle in in the orgy chamber is so strong. We have Spenoli Thorson wielding this massive hammer that you can tell has a lot of weight. Freaking terrifying when he's swinging that around. Yeah. He smashes it into this huge stone pillar and cracks it. Yeah. Like, I mean, it is not a joke. Like, and this stone pillar falls in the scene... Which I'd say is what, maybe 30, 40 feet high? Oh, yeah. It's huge. And it looks to be made out of like marble or yeah. something. So it's got to be heavy, you know, and it, it falls down on all these people. And I don't know. It's it's an amazing scene and so well choreographed. Like all of the fighting and the these, there's so many crazy scenes like that in yeah. this movie. And they just all feel so real. Like they did such a good job with it. There was such a force behind this film that drives it. And, you know, I I guess that that force would be, you know, revenge. You know, he wants to get that sword back. I mean, I think that's true. I think that from, you know, that's what is really good about this movie is that the plot is really encapsulated. We, the first scene is, you know, the initiation of this revenge plot. Right. Because it's the event that sets him on the path of revenge. And the very end of the movie is that he's gotten that, you know, he hacks off, you know, he sneaks up to the top of like Thulsa Doom's tower there. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of like a weird pyramid of some sort. They call it the mountain of power. 
well, again, it's like a, another one of these kind of, uh, I would say, Mesoamerican looking pyramids like yes. Chichen Itza or Tulum, but it's in, supposed to be in somewhere in Asia, I'm assuming. And they use the same shape of thing in Beastmaster, by the way. So, like, so they're wild. all, like, designing the same stuff. Um, but, yeah, so he's at the top of that. And Conan kind of sneaks up behind him and confronts him. And then he, like, chops his head off. Yep. It's not like a one-strike kind of situation, like when Thulsa Doom killed Conan's mother. Yeah. He's hacking his head right off. Couple of, it's taken a couple of strong like blows to the neck to pull that head off yeah and then and it goes flopping down the stairs it's crazy and they said for some of the shots james earl jones was actually you know in the shot as conan was like you know trying to hack his head off i don't even know how they they did these things. i really don't either and i probably don't want to know <laughs> sounds dangerous well that mountain of power is so big like i don't i don't think we've done it justice you know it's built into the side of a mountain how how long do you think that thing is 100 feet 200 feet i don't I, i'm terrible at judging distance like that but i mean stairs wise i'm guessing it has to be at least 100 150 stairs going up the the side of the thing and how many feet across would you say eight ten more okay maybe like 20 Jeez, yeah it's very wide it's very big i mean yeah the scope of it is very big and uh yeah it just it looks very powerful i mean it is like the mountain of power yeah and the the crazy thing is like all these followers like this the snake cult has all these followers mm -hmm. and um they are there when Thulsa Doom is speaking right before Conan kills him and they all have like their candles lit and they're just all standing around down there and you know they worship Thulsa Doom they think that he's a thousand years old mm -hmm. you know they think yeah. that he's like godlike being and they um once they see him killed it's like oh well that's over and they all like start throwing their candle into this kind of ritual pool at the bottom of the tower yeah and it's like that's it you know he had all this power but it's gone he's brought down by conan well it's i mean they said that uh what kind of inspired you know the the cult and, and the way that was played was like jim jones mm. you know and and that's you know what they they went along the lines of because thalsa doom would instruct his followers to kill themselves just for a display of power. Yeah. And again, that's very similar to Beastmaster. Yes, it is. Right at the beginning, Rip Torn gets, you know, two of his guards just to hang themselves on the spot. Yeah. You know, that's exactly it. Like, again, like, I don't think these movies had anything to do with each other. Like, mm -hmm. I don't think, you know, the same people weren't working on it. It's not based on the same stories. Right. Like, Beastmaster, I guess, was based on a book that was set on, like, another planet, even. But the two guys who made it had made Phantasm, and they wanted to do, like, a, what they were calling a sword and sandals type of a movie. Right. And they had read Beastmaster, and they decided they would, you know, turn it into, like, a more Dark Ages version of an Earth story. And, you know, it's so similar, like to conan you know you have this ripped dude you know mm -hmm. who has like a special power in this case it's that he can communicate with animals right um 
and that's really fun. Like for, I, I feel like they could have even gone with more of a kids movie thing on that, just because kids really love like talking to animals kind of stuff. Sure, sure. But they had to have boobs again, so <laughs> it had to be R rated. Yeah, and the scene with the boobs and Beastmaster is ridiculous. Like it's I have silly. never. I mean, I have never seen ladies hanging out by a waterfall with their breasts exposed for no reason. Yeah, and it's just the, the bottom. Yeah, the bottom half of their their body's covered, and they're just hanging out by a waterfall. No one, <laughs> no, no one bathes like no, that. It's totally unreasonable. It's like if I just oh like God. you know just stood up and I had on. <laughs> I had like on, you know, a full suit, but my my penis and testicles were just hanging <laughs> clearly out. Like there's just no point for this. You know, it's just no oh point. Oh my god, it's so funny, but yeah, I mean, the at least the nudity in Conan is like sexual related nudity because right. it's like in context of sex scenes, but I mean, this is just like I don't know, I was just hanging out with my boobs, you know. <laughs> It's really funny. It's insane. I mean, you know, with Thalsa Doom, I, I just want to go back because he has these speeches with Conan. And one is during, you know, the, the torture scene where they just are brutally, you know, destroying him before the crucifixion. And Thalsa Doom tells him that power is in flesh. Not in steel. Right. No. Which is in, in direct opposition to what Conan's father told him at the beginning of the film. And also what I find interesting is, you know, Conan's father at the beginning of the film tells him that you can't trust women, beasts, anything else, but you can just trust steel. And that's proven wrong. Yeah. You know, because Mako, you know, the wizard, Subutai, right? Valeria. These people are there for him. So it's yeah. like, you know, we really see the growth of Conan. And the father's sword breaks. Yes. So like. Oh you, my gosh. You have, you know, the father is actually using that sword mm -hmm. when he's telling him that the only thing you can trust is steel. Oh, wow. And yet that steel breaks at the end of the movie. And that's a good thing because Rexor is the one wielding it. Mm -hmm. But that steel breaks and Valeria comes back from the dead, you know, to save him. So, like, it does, you know, this, this lesson that he learned from his father was not exactly true. And, you know, Thulsa Doom basically tells him, I made you who you are. Yes, he says, I am your father, which yeah. is funny because this is Darth Vader. Again, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah. James Earl Jones is everyone's father. <laughs> He's my father, your father. He's everybody's father. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he, you know, he's in one respect, he's correct because the driving force in Conan's whole life has been seeking revenge. Right. Becoming stronger so mm -hmm. that he could seek revenge, learning how to fight you know, doing all of these different things that brought him to the place where he can seek revenge on Thulsa Doom. And he's, you know, Thulsa Doom is right that he did kind of have a hand in the making of Conan. Well, as did, you know, his father, as did the, the you know, the, the man that owned him, you know, yeah. when he was a fighter. And, and like you mentioned, you know, that, that man became so attached to Conan, and he did feel, you know, like a father, I feel, in some sense. Yeah. 
because he really, you know, what did he do? He trained him. He brought him up, you know, to, to be the, this guy. And then he cut him loose and he cut him loose. And that's something that would hurt him because, you know, owning Conan, you made easy money. He won every single battle. Yeah, he could have kept doing that. There was yeah. no end to what he could have profited off of Conan. Yeah. But he just couldn't, in good conscience, do that to him anymore. And, yeah, with Thulsa Doom, he, he made Conan what he is, mm -hmm. but his death kind of unmakes Conan in a way. Yeah. Like you, you know, that is another form of freedom that he now has. Right. At the end of the movie, when he's leaving, he has freedom to pursue his own course mm -hmm. now because he has closed the book on that revenge. And I just think it's a really well-made movie. Like the script is done well. It's mm -hmm. Milius wrote you know, he adapted or wrote, he rewrote said, yeah. what, what Oliver Stone had written. Um, so Oliver Stone had initially written a script for this. And John Milius ended up taking it and, and revamping it pretty intensely. The Oliver Stone script had a um, much more like a sci-fi feel to it. It was like a, a post-apocalyptic type of thing. It was like hell on earth. And yeah. there were all of these mutants that he had. And it was like this very interesting vision. I mean, we just saw like a couple seconds, you know, uh, on a documentary on the Blu-ray, you know. So, I yeah. mean, we didn't see the whole thing. I think it would have been an interesting movie, sure. but it would have been a very different movie. Yeah. Like, because Millius wanted to tell like this, you know, ancient, prehistoric kind of tale about, you know, the early days of the world. Right. And I think that that was really successfully done. I think he achieved his vision through the script and the direction. Um, and, of course, he did, like we've said, have the best possible people in, you know, these roles. Like, whether, you know, you think Arnold Schwarzenegger could act at that point or not. And, I mean, even he thinks that he couldn't, I think. Well, there is a scene that, that, I, that I do want to bring up. Yeah, and just, yeah, John Milius wanted a grounded story. And that's, that's what his focus was when he rewrote it. And with Arnold Schwarzenegger... And both of us felt this when we watched the film. After Conan is brought back from the dead, we actually see him working with his sword. We've seen other sequences of Conan practicing the sword, you know, with the sword master and then on his own. And this is when he's come back from the dead and he slowly starts to work with the sword. And it's like he's really feeling like he's back on Earth. And all of his senses are coming back to him. And he's getting his movements back. And it feels like he's becoming one with the blade again. And it's an amazing sequence. The music is gorgeous. We can yeah. never discount that. No, yeah. The it, score in this is killer. It, it, yeah, it's it just perfect. And his acting in this seems like he is coming back to life. He's coming back to his, I guess, passion for revenge. And what he based it on was Marlon Brando and One-Eyed Jacks. Because there's a sequence in that film where Marlon Brando is practicing with his gun. And he starts out slow and then he just, you know, builds an intensity and goes faster and faster. And this is what Arnold Schwarzenegger said he was thinking about in this sequence 
And it's amazing because it completely reads mm -hmm. and it just gives you this sense of him being reborn. And after that point in the film, I feel like his acting style is different. I feel like it's more intense. I feel like our character is connected to so many more emotions. And I mean, this makes sense because Valeria brought him back. Yeah. Subatai is his friend. Mako is his friend. He has his friends and he has the love of his life. Yeah. This is something he has never had. And they are all in with him. Yeah. They are all in. They are going to take them all out for what happened. And it's just like that is just such an outpouring of emotion. Yeah, I just, I really think it's well done. I think it's a very well encapsulated story. Mm -hmm. And all of the elements of the production design, the locations... The, the intense training that the actors clearly did. Yeah. You know, their looks, the way that they fit their own characters, and the story itself all come together to make something that the whole is bigger than the sum of the parts. I agree. I, I just don't know that a movie like this could happen again for for many reasons you know yeah. many of them safety related but um you well, know they remade this right they yes. remade this with jason momoa yes as conan and it is it's not a bad remake no but for me it doesn't quite capture the spirit that this had and you know part of that could be because you know, this is a very gung-ho kind of a movie. Like, sure everybody who's doing this is, like, all in. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of like a family affair. Like you said, like, the people who were working on it, their family, their wives were in the movie, you right. know, and, and different things like this. So it, it has, like, something special that I don't think that can be recaptured because things are done so differently now. Mm -hmm. Like, what would the insurance companies allow, you know? Well, and there was, like, this whole deal with the, the fake blood, right? That had vodka in it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's like you, you had you had that piece of the puzzle, you know? And it's just like, and you have people using real weapons. Yeah, yeah. John Milley said there were points at this when they were using actual swords to do oh. these fighting scenes. And I'm like, boy, well, you have a lot more faith in your abilities than I would, you know? And then, again, the shooting, the actual arrows and stuff like that. Like, it, it, I wouldn't suggest that these are in any way good things to do. Mm. I mean, safety has to be more important, you know, than that. And I think that, you know, that's a drawback in some ways to this film. But there is an immediacy and a reality to this that does come across. This sparked my imagination. Conan sparked my imagination. I started to draw characters like Conan. You made your poster board sword maybe around this time, I'm assuming. Yeah, I mean, I, I had that, and I also just, I, I was all in. I was reading the, the Conan the Barbarian comic books regularly. You know, my father was fantastic, got me all of these comic book subscriptions in the mail, <laughs> And I would just read and read. And there were many different variations of the Conan comics. You know, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the King, Conan the Savage Sword. There might have been even more. You know, and it's so funny that, you know, I've read so many things, but not the actual source material, which, you know, I need to correct. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's a good film. 
because it it tells a complete story. You know, the only wish that I had is that they continued on this track I wish that for too. the next two films. Yeah, I wish they had been able to, you know, fulfill their goal from the beginning, which was to tell like a three-part kind of story of this character. But yeah, it just didn't work out that way. We're left with this image of Conan on the throne, you know, and, and that's something that in the opening monologue, Mako talks about, you know, and it's like, well, what happened? You know what I mean? And it's, it, it's just such an evolution because, you know, he becomes, you know, I would say a man in this film. You know, we see him as a child and then we see him as an older man that's loved and lost. He's gained his revenge, you know, and with, you know, getting the father's sword back, beheading Thulsa Doom with it, casting away the sword, he no longer has any programming from anyone the only thing that he still has allegiance to is Krom, his god. Yeah. Which, you know, in that final battle, he basically says, you know, if you don't help me out, I'm done. Yeah, that's that's it. And, you know, like we like I said before, like this is his freedom mm -hmm. at the end, his true freedom. Yeah. Like he's already tasted some freedom, but he still was tied to this need to avenge his parents and, and his village. Yeah. And by the end of this movie, he has done that. And now he has true freedom to pursue other things in the world. And I would have loved to have seen that continue on. So maybe we both, you know, go read the books and, and stories and see what other uh, adventures there are for Conan. I mean, that would be another way to explore the material. Yes, and there was also an animated film, Red Nails, where... Uh, Ron Perlman actually voices Conan. Oh, interesting. And I, I don't know if it's Red Nails or The Red Nails, but it was, I believe, a Robert E. Howard story. And so it were coming directly from the source material in that. So I, I would be very interested in checking that out sometime. Yeah. Well, there was a Conan video game. Oh, yeah. That you played several times, I think. Oh, I, I loved it. Um, so, yeah, Conan is just a great character. Um, and I think that... It's it, there's just so much to him, and mm -hmm. you know they really captured lightning in a bottle with they this did. movie for sure. Um, yeah, and I am so psyched that we got to see it on the big screen because I felt like there were things that I noticed that I had never noticed before. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, I, I and the more I think about it, the more I think maybe I did see this at the drive-in. Mm -hmm. um, so I did see it like on a big screen. <laughs> At some point, or it seemed like it anyway, because I was a little kid. But seeing it at the movies this time with the crowd, you yeah. know, with the audience who was super fans like we are. Yeah. It was a very special experience. I'm, I'm really glad we got to have that. Me too. And I'm really glad that we recorded our episode on the 40th anniversary of the film. Unbelievable serendipity. Yes. I can't believe that. I really can't. So that was great. Um, anything else you wanted to add about this movie? I just wanted to thank Crom <laughs> for making this 40th anniversary taping a reality. <laughs> yes, thank you, Crom. Thank you for putting the obstacle in our way last evening. <laughs> it worked. Yeah. Um, yeah, okay. Well, I mean, that was great. And we will look forward to seeing you next week for another sword and sorcery type movie. Um we will be excited to talk about that, and until then, stay comfy. Stay comfy, everybody. <laughs>